Word for Today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. believe that this is God's Word, inspired, inerrant, and true from cover to cover. And because of those convictions, we come with an expectancy today that God is going to use His Word in our lives to teach us, to follow after Jesus, to convict us of sin, and to remind us what it looks like to be sanctified in his sight. And so as you come today and you listen to God's word, it's our prayer that he would do these things in your heart and life as well as he promises to do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we commit this time now to you. We ask that you would be lifted high, glorified, that as we spend time in your word together, that something would take place in the hearts of those who are listening, that they would live by faith, and the promise of your word. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past weeks, we've been looking at a man named Job and his story, a man who walked with God through suffering and experienced just a variety of turmoil and anguish. And what we've been looking at here as we've gone throughout the book is not only how he walked through this with God, but also how he had friends that came alongside and walked through it with him as well. And so last week we were introduced to Job's friends, and we saw that they actually do a pretty good job comforting Job, that is, until they open up their mouths. Uh, they're, they're, they're with him, they're empathetic, they're doing everything right, and then they begin to speak. And instead of comforting him, essentially what they end up saying in so many words is, Job, you're in all this mess, you're in all this trouble, and all these things have happened because you're just a big sinner. If you wouldn't have sinned, if you wouldn't have done something wrong, whatever it is, this calamity wouldn't have come your way. And I want to just show you a couple lines from each of Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, that, that really just, in a very passive-aggressive way, tell Job, you're the one who's brought this upon yourself. So starting there with Eliphaz, Job chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, we see the first passive-aggressive jab at Job that's related here. you got to love those passive-aggressive friends. You know, they're, they don't want to just outright say it, but they're really trying to get a dig in there. Well, that's, that's these friends. Uh, and with friends like these, who needs enemies, right? Job 4, 7 through 8. Eliphaz says, Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Essentially what he's saying is, people who are having calamity and hardship and destruction, those are the people who have done iniquity, they've done wrong. And so, Job, for you, you're suffering, you're in this predicament, it's because there's something that you've done, some grievous error or sin, that's caused this calamity to come upon you. Bildad follows this up in chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. He says, does, does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. And essentially, Bildad says the same thing. You know, God is just. And if you're having these things come against you, you're having these things come against you because you've wronged God. You've sinned. You've done something against his ways. And so again, another passive-aggressive jab at Job saying, well, if you wouldn't have sinned, if you wouldn't have done these wrong things, then this calamity wouldn't be against you. And then we have Zophar in chapter 11, verses 
14 through 15, who says, If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away, and let not injustice dwell in your tents. Surely, then you will lift up your face without blemish. You'll be secure and will not fear. So Zophar actually takes kind of an interesting twist at it. He says, well, it's got to be that you have some secret hidden sin, something that you've been hiding, something maybe in your tent, something that nobody else knows about. But if, but if you were honest about it, you would be able to receive repentance and forgiveness for that that you have you know, been dealing with. Okay? And so he, again, makes another passive-aggressive jab at Job that there's some secret sin that you're hiding that brings about this calamity that you're facing. And instead of comforting him, essentially then all of the friends come out to say, Job, you're in this mess because you're just a big sinner. And what we see in regards to Job's friends is that their thinking this way really is some bad theology. It's a bad way of thinking about our relationship with God. And maybe you've heard this kind of line or known people who think this way as well, that if you're doing good, then God will bless you. And if you're doing bad, then God will make your life miserable or will judge you. And, and this idea in the Old Testament is called retribution theology. The idea that the righteous prosper, the wicked suffer. And so if you're suffering, then you're being judged for your sin. And so the solution is you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. And if you do, then you'll be blessed. Uh, it's the idea, kind of to paraphrase that down, that you get what you deserve, right? Um, God sees to it that good people get good things and bad people get bad things. And so if someone has cancer, they lose their job or something bad has happened, it's because of sin. And if you're doing well and your business prospers, it's a sign that God's pleased with you. This is retribution theology. And it's also bad theology. This isn't the picture that we have in the Bible, but it's a very popular thing to believe. It's very easy for us to think, well, yeah, that makes sense. God's judging sin, and when people are doing well, God's blessing them. And it's a very A plus B equals C kind of thinking. It's a very, if you do this, then this will happen to you. And, and the problem with that kind of thinking is that we don't get to control God with our actions. And, and there are sometimes when very good people suffer. And there's times when very bad people prosper. And it doesn't take too long for us to look around in the world and to see that. And so not only is this bad theology, but it's also just not what we see in the world, right? Um, the idea that the friends have then is if Job is faithful, he will be blessed. If he's unfaithful, he's going to be punished. And, there, and because Job is being punished, therefore he must have been unfaithful. And it's a very limited scope without seeing any fuller perspective. In our day and age, though, we don't call this thinking retribution theology. We call this prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement. You know, if you just had enough faith, then this person wouldn't be sick anymore. If you just believed enough, your paycheck would be bigger. And there are prosperity gospel teachers out there that say, if you do whatever, then your life will be wonderful. And God's plan is the best for you. He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and to have all of these things. And if you're suffering and having hardships, well, you just don't have enough faith. You guys ever heard that? That's the, the prosperity gospel movement, but it's essentially just a reincarnation of retribution theology. That the idea is you get what you deserve, and how you live your life impacts how you're suffering or not. Um, well, what does God say about that theology? 
Does, does God tell us what he believes about that and what position it has before him? Well, fortunately, he does. At the end of the book of Job, he calls out Job's friends and says, you're wrong about this. This is not the way the world operates and not how I operate. Uh, Job 42, verse 7, it says, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. Okay, so God calls him out and says, You're operating with this kind of thinking, and this kind of thinking is not godly, it's not good, it's not representative of me. And so we can, with confidence, look at those who are postulating some kind of a retribution theology or prosperity gospel and say, that isn't what God says he's all about. That's not how God operates. There are some times where those who are living by faith are going to suffer. And there's going to be those who maybe are very wicked and they're going to prosper. And it's not always that you get what you deserve or what's coming to you on this life. You know, eventually, we, you know, we have an eternal inheritance that will never spoil or fade. That we can look to. But as far as this sinful, broken world, sometimes we do find ourselves living in, in the consequences of that, even though we're living by faith and trusting in the Lord. And so what I would just encourage you to remember, friends, as you think about what's going on here in Job and all of what the friends bring about, that all of this is not good theology. And if you want to read chapters 3 through about 34, you'll get a glimpse of all of this you know, bad theology and conversation back and forth between Job and his friends, where Job is um, telling them that, that there isn't any kind of grievous wrong that he's done to bring this all about, and his friends you know, continue to remind him that that must be the case. But as I, as I look at the Bible as a whole, the Bible, friends, does not regard suffering as a sign of failure. Let me just say that again. The Bible does not regard suffering as a sign of failure, but instead as the mark of a life that's placed in God's hands. That we actually see that there are many people who are very close God followers who suffer and who go through lots of hardships and calamities. And that, that there's not some kind of one-for-one -one correspondence between suffering and God's judgment or between faith and prospering. Uh, Paul, one of those people who I think we can readily point to and say, um, yeah, this person was following the Lord. I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. This is somebody who is a servant of God, an apostle. Well, listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So being flogged. That happened to him five times. Uh, three times I was beating with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I mean, that, that, that just sounds like a bed of roses, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't that sound like just a great, wonderful life? You know, here's a man who's serving God and everything's just going well for him. You know, hopefully the sarcasm is 
coming through even on the radio as you're listening to that. But no, this sounds like a lot of problems. This sounds like a lot of suffering. This sounds like none of these I would want. You know, I would not even want to be flogged one time. I would never want to be stoned. I would never want to be shipwrecked. I would never want any of these things that Paul is describing. And he said, all of this has happened to me. You think serving Jesus has been easy? Think again. It's been a hard journey. And there's been many sleepless nights and even anxiety. Intense pressure on me as I've been serving the Lord. It's it's a hard thing to follow after God in this world. And somewhere along the line, even those who are in the church, even those who are in the Old Testament who are purporting to follow God, somehow got this idea wrong. They, they get this idea that, well, if I follow God, my life is going to be easy. That's not the case. And I would say that's never been the case. Is God faithfully with us? Absolutely. Does he walk through the suffering with us? Yes. Does he promise to deliver us from this broken world? He does. But he also tells us in John 16 that in this world we will have trouble. And this is what Martin Luther then calls a theology of the cross. That we, as we follow Jesus, we are called to what? Pick up our cross and follow him. That that why would we expect our master receiving a crown of thorns, but we get a crown of roses? That doesn't make sense. We're, We're called to a life also of suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, suffering for the sake of the gospel, not prospering for the sake of the gospel. And and the world all around us and and, and many false teachers in the church, they're chasing after this glory story. The story that says, well, if you're going to give your life to Jesus, everything is going to be great. But we actually see the exact opposite. We see that the suffering that we face in this life is actually God's gift to us. It's a good thing for us. It, It grows us. It matures us. And maybe that seems like a strange thing for you to think about. So I'm just going to let you chew on it for a little bit as I read some verses for you from Scripture. This is Romans chapter 5. The same guy writing as had experienced all these shipwrecks and everything that we heard about, right? This is Paul. He says in Romans 5 verse 3, We rejoice in our suffering. Just stop there for a second. Think about it. We rejoice in our suffering. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, Man, Paul, have you lost it? Are you crazy? I'm not rejoicing in my suffering. It's the hard stuff. Well, let's listen to what he says. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says, He's looking at suffering with a bigger perspective than just the things that he's facing. There, there's, there's something that suffering does for you. It gives you character. It gives you endurance. It helps you see life beyond just this little picture here. And it gives us a looking forward to eternity. This is what James says in James chapter 1 when he's writing about suffering. He says, count it all joy, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance, maybe your version has. And let steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
You just think about what James is emphasizing, what he's getting across here. He's pretty much saying the same thing that Paul is. When you're facing these various troubles that you will face, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When you face these things, realize what it's doing. It's testing your faith. It's sharpening you. It's producing perseverance and character in your life. This, then, we can see even the, the harshest things the world throws at us as a gift to grow us, to mature us, and to point us heavenward. I think it's often been said that, you know, by Christians that, you know, if this world didn't have suffering and brokenness, we may not have a desire for anything more than this. This is great. This is wonderful. This is perfect. But you know, as our backs hurt, as our jobs feel mundane, as we see sinful brokenness around us and the hurts and the pains that people deal with, it, it allows for us to recognize maybe, maybe all this stuff is really passing away and I'm looking forward to heaven all the more. Elizabeth Elliot, a wife of missionary Jim Elliot, uh, who lost her husband to martyrdom in Ecuador, she writes this, I am not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and of the love of God. Eliot pretty much states and confesses that, that suffering and pain has been used by God in her life, that, that her closeness in her relationship with God has even come about through suffering. Because of the pain, because of the suffering that she's faced, she has even a more assurance of the presence of God in her life and of the love of God for her. And so as you think about suffering, instead of thinking about suffering as something to run away from, or instead of seeing suffering as being the wrath of God, like Job's friends were seeing here, instead my encouragement for you is to see suffering in a different life, maybe as God's gift to you, or at the very least, that God is going to use it in your life uh, in, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, when we think about what suffering does, just a couple things for you to just meditate on and let it marinate in your mind. Number one, suffering helps us remember our true priorities. You know, when we're suffering, we're going through something hard, um, we really are able to see very quickly what matters and what doesn't. You're going through some intense pain. You really cut out a lot of things in your life that um, are just not the highest priority. And you end up really gravitating toward the things that matter most to you. And, and so suffering does that. It helps us to recognize our, our true priorities, our faith, maybe our relationship with our family, some of the things core to our identity. It grounds us in that. Secondly, suffering refines our character. I would say that some of the people who are the most humble, most empathetic, the most gracious people that I know are people who have encountered suffering of various kinds, and it's molded them to be the people that they are today. Number three, suffering draws us into community, uh, as we do with sharing our prayer requests here every Sunday. Galatians 6.2 talks about you know, bearing one another's burdens. And as we share with one another, as we're being real about our suffering and our grief, it draws us into the family of God. It, it develops a closeness with those around us that we can help bear with one another, encourage them, spur them on to follow after Jesus. Uh, number four, suffering draws us closer to the Lord. 
I can, I can say probably with Elizabeth Elliot that the times that I've grown closest to the Lord have been through times of suffering, through times of hardship. Uh, Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then Psalm 119.71, it says, It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn to keep your word. That there is a closeness that's brought about in our relationship with the Lord through the sufferings that we encounter. And, and I would say that that then is, is God's gift to us. You know, a closer relationship and a closer walk with Him. We also see that suffering keeps our eyes focused on eternity. We've talked about that a little bit already, but there is a, an upward thinking that takes place in our life when we're going through suffering. And we recognize that this world isn't all there is and ever will be, but instead our gaze is focused on eternity with the Lord. And, and so as you, my friends, think about going through suffering, as you think about going through hardships, uh, my encouragement for you would be to be careful and discerning um, about your response to it. Don't necessarily assume, like Job does and his friends, that maybe God is against me. Maybe something like that is happening. And that, that retribution theology that we see present from Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar is not the case. Uh, God himself rebukes that thinking. That instead, we can see suffering as something that maybe is happening for some reason unknown to us. Maybe it's because we're living in a broken and sinful world. But to see it ultimately as um, following after Jesus in a world that there is still hurt. There still is broken people. Jesus gives an answer to retribution theology that I just love in John chapter 9. And uh, kind of synthesizes this in my mind. John chapter 9 verse 1. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? That this man or his parents that he was born blind? You know, essentially, the disciples have a skewed version of retribution theology as well. You know, who did something wrong in order that this would happen? And Jesus said, verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but what? That the works of God would be displayed in him. You know, sometimes I think when we're going through suffering, we're so quick to get out of it. Instead of asking us ourselves, what are these trials trying to teach us? How is God using this in our life and how can he be glorified in these things? When you think about that line there, that the works of God might be displayed, what mighty work is God displaying in the life of Job? It's really faith, isn't it? God is displaying a mighty work of faith that even though there's suffering of many kinds, Job keeps his eyes and his heart fixated on the Lord. And as you think about this for yourself, I guess the question would be the same. When you face trials and suffering, evil in this world, what mighty work of God is he looking at displaying in your life? Where are your eyes turning? Are they glorifying and magnifying God? Are they seeking after him, drawing close to him? Or are they just so focused on your trials and troubles that you've lost sight of him altogether? My hope, friends, is that you will be living by faith as Job does. That you'll be turning your eyes to Jesus, the one who is there with you, and is walking alongside of you and has called you to pick up your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for today, for an opportunity to look through your word. Pray that you would continue to teach us, to mold us, and to be more and more like you. That you would be working this faith in our hearts.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to God's Word for today. If you are impacted by the message you heard, please consider donating to the ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church by visiting www.livingwordaflc.org.